You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And this particular podcast topic is Dubai the new Atlantis. So uh, let me give you just a semblance of what my inspiration for this particular podcast was about. So I had a video run across my feed on how Dubai was built. And I started looking at the technology that they used to build Dubai. And then I started just looking at different uh, pictures and buildings and uh, the whole simulated flower, sand dune, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, in one of the particular videos, uh, I was looking through the comments and someone made a comment, is Dubai a test city for Mars? And I was like, whoa, that's a thought. Are they trying to recreate what mythology says Atlantis was. Okay, so just a, a few little uh, background tidbits on Dubai. And this is coming from the Emirates website, emirates.com, how Dubai was built. From architectural wonders and seven-star hotels Two, world record breakers that push the boundaries of possibilities. Dubai has never shielded away from feats of engineering prowess. Here we look at what it took to build some of those landmarks and how they operate on a daily basis. An iconic symbol of Dubai, the Burj, I'm probably not pronouncing it right, the Burj or the Burj Al Arab Jeremiah is an architectural marvel. It is one of the world's most photographed superstructures set on its own man-made island <clears throat> 280 meters off Dubai's coastland. It was designed by the architect Tom Wright to resemble the billowing sail of an Arabian Dow and at 321 meters high is the tallest all suite hotel in the world. First opened on December 1st, 1999, its construction involved 3,000 companies and contractors, 250 designers, and 3,500 workmen on site at any given time. It took two years to reclaim the island and a further three to complete the building, which was constructed to reflect Dubai's ambition to become one of the most culturally diverse and dynamic cities in the world. 
inside approximately 1,790 square meters of 24-karat gold leaf embellishes the interior, while 10 million mosaic tiles line the pools at the terrace, the hotel's luxury leisure facility. There are also more than 30 types of statuary marble covering nearly 24,000 square meters of wall and flooring. It takes around 1,600 members of staff, ranging from uh, Michelin-starred chefs and skilled mixologists to florists and private butlers to run the hotel, which features three aquariums, nine dining and entertainment venues, 202 suites, a spa, and a luxury uh, leisure facility. The same level of care, design, and attention that has been put into developing and maintaining the architectural marvel goes into running the hotel, says Scott Murray, the hotel's manager. From being chauffeur-driven in one of our luxury Rolls-Royce Phantoms across the famed bridge leading to the hotel through to the uh, caretake, the bespoke caretaking at each of the 202 suites by our team of dedicated butlers, the impeccable service offered at restaurants such as Nathan Outlaw and Scrape Restaurant and Lounge to the beach and pool experience at the terrace. Each touch point that guests experience at Bosch Al, I'm just going to say Jeremiah, is a uniquely special one. Okay. All right. So um, let's see if they get into the engineering. Um, Okay. Designed by Chicago-based Skidmore Owen and Merle and developed by Emar Properties, it took 22 million man hours to build. And during its peak construction, had over 12,000 professional and skilled workers on site every day, in total of 33,000 cubic meters of concrete, 39,000 tons of steel reinforcement, 103,000 square meters of glass, and 15,500 square meters of embossed stainless steel were used in its construction. The end result is stunning vertical city at the heart of downtown Dubai. There's the world's highest observation deck and outdoor terrace on level 148, the world's highest swimming pool on level 76, and atmosphere, the world's highest fine dining restaurant on level 122. At the base of it is the Armani Hotel Dubai, while the rest of this monument to human achievement is made up of 172,000 square meters of residence and over 27,000 square meters of office space. Okay, so um, interestingly, I'm trying to jump around, trying to save some time, y'all, trying to get the meat out of the article. Interestingly, the building's management team are helped by Dubai's hot and humid climate, which combined with the building's cooling system, creates a significant amount of condensation. 
This water is collected and drained in a separate piping system and amounts to about 56 million liters of water per year, equal to roughly 20 Olympic-sized pools. Meanwhile, the tower's peak electrical demand is 36 milliwatt, equal to about 36,000, I'm sorry, not 36,000, y'all, 360,000 bulbs of 100 watts operated simultaneously. All right, so um, they're going to get into it, but what really sparked my interest when I was looking at uh, some of the videos on the technology they use for Dubai and specifically how they're using uh, the technology to cool the buildings because it's the desert, Okay, so it gets extremely hot there, right? And if it's a, a desert, which it is, that means access to water is difficult, right? So in one of the videos, they showed uh, one of the skyscrapers. It's not this one that they're talking about now. It was another skyscraper. How they were showing how there are pipes. They were explaining how they're cooling the building and they were using some sort of water system and they were explaining how the water was like running up the building. And because the skyscraper was so tall, they had it running up the building in stages. So meaning let's say the first hundred floors run through these pipes and then the next hundred through those pipes, et cetera, et cetera. And immediately I thought of the amount of water that it is taking. That's just to cool the building. What about the water it takes in general to run the building that people must consume, that uh, people need to uh, wash up with, et cetera, et cetera. All right. And that's not mentioning because it is a desert. Remember, it is a desert. What about all of the man-made lakes and canals as well? That's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of water that had to take, had to come from somewhere. What technology are they using to keep that water flowing? Because remember, it's the desert, so water, the, the, the rate of evaporation would be extremely high. So um, it says Dubai Water Canal, how they built one of Dubai's newest attractions. As urban transformations go, the building of Dubai Water Canal takes some beating. Where else in the world would the elevation of three existing roads, including Dubai's main artery, Sheikh Zayed Road, be shrugged off as a mere inconvenience. Yet that's exactly what was necessary to complete one of the city's new, newest landmarks. Ru running for 3.2 kilometers and built at a cost of $2.7 the canal is essentially an extension of Dubai's Creek linking Business Bay to the Arabian Gulf through Safa Park and uh, I call it Jeremiah, but I think it's Ju Jumaira. So y'all forgive me if I'm 
botching that. No disrespect to Dubai. I apologize in advance. But anyhow, to achieve this, the four main contractors and 70 subcontractors had to excavate 3 million cubic feet of sand and use 150,000 tons of concrete and utilize 25,000 tons of steel reinforcement. Now remember, this is just them talking about the new canal that they're that they built. What about what had to happen with that island that's surrounded by the water? Y'all know the island I'm talking about that looks like the flower. How much excavation had to go into that? All right. The canal was then flooded in a complex stage, six stage operation, allowing 7.8 million cubic meters of water into the waterway. In total, the operation was executed over a five-week period, which I'm surprised it took them that short of amount of time. The canal, which is between 80 and 120 meters wide at any given location, has added 6.4 kilometers of waterfront to Dubai, also includes a 12 a uh, kilometer cycle track, a three kilometer jogging track, three pedestrian bridges, and nine marine stations. It even has its very own waterfall cascading from the bridge over the Sheikh Zayed Rose Road. Okay, so it says uh, just reminding us that it cost two point seven billion dollars, which. To be honest, that's kind of cheap if you think about what they've done. And uh, 3 million cubic meters of sand excavated to create the canal. So it's saying that Dubai has the world's largest choreographed fountain system. At the base of Khalifa is the, the Burj. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. The Burj Khalifa is another masterpiece the dubai fountain the tallest performing fountain in the world with 344 underwater robots and uh 1100 shooters it is a spectacular water light and musical experience at the center of downtown dubai right now i know y'all have seen that anybody that have seen videos of dubai we always see people uh, take videos of that uh, water show. Okay, set in the 30-acre Burj Lake and designed by California-based uh, wet, the fountain's powerful water nozzles can shoot water up to 140 meters in the air, while its unique design of five circles of varying sizes and two arcs enable it to be choreographed to different music. At any given moment, 83,000 liters of water will be in the air with 25 color uh, projectors providing a full spectrum of color. Now remember, y'all, we still talking in the desert, right? We're still talking in the desert. 
All right, so controlling the creative aspect of the show is a dedicated team of uh, choreographers with each new show starting life as a computer simulation in the U.S. before being downloaded to the fountain in Dubai for fine-tuning. Wow. Wouldn't have known that. So the folks in the uh, U.S. are creating the actual show, and um, then they just send over the software to the show over to Dubai to play it. Wow. Now that's interesting. Anyhow, the entire process can take between two and four weeks with everything from Michael Jackson's thriller to the theme song, the magnificent, the magnificent seven forming the basis of a show. Okay. So basically they switch it up. All right. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So the fountain itself sits atop a network of tunnels and equipment rooms with an array of logic control, electrical switching power, and valve panels controlling the entire operation. The electrical uh, equipment coupled with miles of piping comes together to create the final show, which is overseen by the main control room located at at the top of Dubai Mall. The spectacular show on the new LED panel of... Burj Khalifa and the performances of the Dubai Fountain are among the most popular tourist attraction in the city today. Okay, both involve extensive collaboration and planning and our focus is on offering visitors a truly memorable experience. Every show involves hundreds of people working in coordination to ensure that, (coughs) that every aspect is considered right from design to execution. These performances also add to the civic pride of our nation underlining the appeal of Dubai in offering compelling attractions that welcome the world. All right, so now they get into the um, man-made island. Oh, so the palm. Okay, yeah, I could not think of that flower. So I know y'all have seen this too. So this particular man-made island it looks like a palm flower. Okay. So it's called the palm Jumariah. Uh, you know, I was saying Jeremiah, but it's not a J-E. It's J-U. Jumariah, the story like no other. One of the world's largest man-made islands, the palm Jumariah, is constructed in the shape of a date palm and effectively doubled the coastline of Dubai when it was completed in 2006. All right, y'all, here we go. It took 120 cubic meters of sand and 7 million tons of rock to create and span 1,400 acres. To put that into perspective, the island is four times the size of London's Hyde Park and one and a half times bigger than Central Park in New York. The master developer tasked the transforming palm Jeremiah from a concept into reality was Nikhil. And in doing so, it has created one of the most famous and sought after landmark destinations in the world. Now home to more than 30,000 people, it includes luxury residents, hotels, resorts, retail outlets, and 
recreation and leisure facilities, all of which need constant maintenance. I'm sure it does. Significantly, the island which hosts resorts such as, oh, come on now. So it hosts a resort such as Atlantis, the Palm, really now. And Jeremiah Zabil Saray is very much a work in progress. Upon the Kiel's developments include the Palm Tower, a 52-story residential and hotel complex, and Palm 360, a twin tower hotel and residential development comprising Raffles, the Palm Dubai Hotel, and Raffle Residence, Palm 360. The Palm Tower is directly connected to the Nakil Mall, which is also under construction and due for completion next year. All right, so it's just saying that uh, the the Palm, I'm just going to call it the Palm, is a shining of example of the creativity, innovation, and forward thinking that Dubai is known for, says Ali Rashid, a global, a globally recognized landmark and one of the most sought-after addresses in the world. Okay, so um, I just kind of wanted to, I'm not going to read the rest of that, but um, it goes into the different things that they've done. Um, of course, they have a theme park. I mean, that's not too hard. It is what it is with a theme park. Um, but if you kind of look at the different <clears throat> landmarks in Dubai, you will see a lot of man-made islands, a heck of a lot of uh, man-made islands. So it made me think of two things. The first thing was the fact that, and, and I'm speaking to the quote-unquote mud flood communities now, um, <clears throat> y'all remember those um, star forts? So it definitely made me think of the different star forts that were built. Uh, we know that the French built some of them. Now, I don't know if the French built all of them. I'm assuming the Dutch may have built some as well. Uh, so let's say the Dutch and the French. I don't know how many star forts the Brits built, but we do know that we still have remnants of those star forts today. And most of what we're seeing on uh, uh, that constitute coastlines, okay, because they mentioned um, in the article about London's particular coastline. And if you go look up the city of London's coastline, you'll see that it was built up. You'll see that concrete wall. All right. Even in the United States, on the mainland, most of that coastline was built up. It's a built-up coastline, okay? So that means Florida, uh, California. You can go back to some of the older maps, and you'll see where California was separated from the mainland. And then uh, I ran across the map and I, I got that particular map, the name of that map, from uh, John Levy. He did a show on it. Um, or he mentioned it in one of his shows. 
And on that map, it showed where California was built up to be connected to the mainland. Okay, so that's the first thing that came to my mind. Okay, so the Dubai build up a Dubai of, of what they're doing from a technology perspective on such a grand scale. That's what was done. If we want to say pre mud flood, pre reset, definitely pre what they are telling us the true history is. Because we not only have some of those same remnants today on the coastlines, but also um, like the former star forts also exist. Okay, so that's the first thing. So in other words, they're kind of bringing back that grand scale of building things. So if you want to take it back a little further or on the mythology side, meaning the Atlantis, because remember, some say that Atlantis existed and um, it was highly technically advanced and a war broke out. <clears throat> and the uh, what they were fighting with, the war tools they were fighting with, sunk the city of Atlantis. So supposedly it is underground. Others say that it is not underground. It is just hidden land that is no longer available to us. Okay? So, in other words, with this talk of reset, something is going on where we're seeing test cities being stood up. And I really believe Dubai is one of those test cities, right? Now, if you look into the news media, all they've been talking about lately is Mars this, Mars that, Mars, 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 Mars. And it really made me think when that person said in the comments about Dubai being a test city for Mars, is that, a, is that the case? Is it the case that Mars is, you can believe, two, two schools of thought here? Well, three. I'll go with three schools of thought. So let's go with three schools of thoughts regarding Mars. First school of thought is Mars is millions of whatever miles they say away in the sky and that now they are now have the technology that they are starting to explore Mars and they are going to start colonizing Mars in order to be livable. Right? So now that is the first school of thought, which is the mainstream media school of thought. All right? The second school of thought is Mars is really not what they're telling you that it is, meaning that it's in the sky and it's millions of miles away. Really, Mars is just a territory in part of a larger planet Earth 
because all of the land masses have not been revealed to the rest of the world. So if that's your school of thought, it's, you know, one or two things. Either they're rebuilding Mars back up, meaning maybe Mars was inhabited before since it is land that's hidden on planet Earth. Or they're just going to colonize that particular territory. All right. The third school of thought is that the whole concept of being able to go to Mars, being able to inhabit Mars is just false. So meaning it doesn't matter if you feel that it can, you can go out into space and land on Mars or whether you feel Mars is just hidden land in a hidden territory It just doesn't exist. It's made up. It's not going to happen. It's not possible. So those are the three schools of thoughts regarding Mars. My whole thing to the matter is, what? why are they pushing? Why are they constantly having conversations regarding going to Mars? I mean, frequent conversations. Now they, they have literally, they are literally now supposedly and allegedly doing exploration of Mars with under the guise of collecting information in order to inhabit Mars. Although Elon Musk comes out and says that they want to uh, put people on Mars to live within the next 20 years. And he may have even said 10 years. Don't quote me on the 10. I know at a minimum, uh, it was the uh, 20. So, is it one or it, it, is it the case that they are introducing the concept of cities like Dubai to get folks consciousness, get their mind, get their appetite ready for these futuristic cities? Is that's what's going on here? That they're using Dubai as the test city for the next step after a reset of some sort to live on Mars? Do they already have Mars built out? to be in livable conditions. And in the same comment in that uh, one Dubai video, uh, of course, that person putting that comment there about is Dubai the the test city for Mars? Of course, other people had (coughs) replies to put under there. And, uh, you know, some of the replies were, it's probably already built out. Probably already built out, and pretty soon they'll be introducing folks or giving folks the option to go and inhabit it, Mar- inhabit Mars. And my thing is, if it's already built out, that means folks are already over there living. They already have a test group. 
that's over there living. And who's to say that it was deserted in the first place? Who's to say it was it was probably already folks there? Okay. Now, especially if I'm going with let's use the concept or the school of thought of Mars being uh, just an additional, t- additional territory on a larger planet Earth. Okay, so meaning this territory, the people in our territory, we didn't know about them and they didn't know about us. But only a select few of the quote, quote, who they're calling the elite and maybe some select presidents know about these additional territories. All right. So when it's time to do a quote, quote, reset, is that a part of the reset? Is that part of the reset to claim that we are going to inhabit or colonize Mars when in fact, It is just an additional territory on larger earth and where folks have always lived there. We just didn't know they lived there. Like they don't know that we're on this side. Now I'm talking about the larger population. Okay. I'm not talking about the ones that are in the know. All right. So, um, Just a little bit more example of how I feel Dubai is some type of test city. Uh, they also have in here some of, um, and this is from Digital Trends, and this was back in 2017. They talk about uh, nine high-tech examples that prove Dubai is the world's most futuristic city. Um, so it talks about, now I know this, get ready, y'all, because you all that follow these things, you're already going to know <clears throat> what this is all, is what it's about. So in addition to being home to some of the world's most luxurious hotels and biggest shopping malls, Dubai has, uh, now, before I go on, now notice, in the United States, shopping malls are dead. I mean, literally, just go on and put the shopping malls in the coffin and just nail them up, baby. They are dead. They are done. The shopping mart, if if you have invested in shopping malls, meaning rent payments, you're hurting big time now. Because it's been on the decline for the past 20 years. And with the introduction into shopping online, that literally, that literally made it worse. Okay. And just like anything else, it just always baffles me on how these companies that are supposedly have the best of the best as their CEOs, they can never see the trends. Never see the trend. That's what they're supposed to be paid for. Them and all of their executives. They're supposed to be paid to look 10 years ahead of the game. And they can never just see it coming. 
All right. So it took these big retail folks quite a bit of time to get an online presence. So now they are just really starting to get an online presence. And in a lot of them before pre um, pandemic, they had just started shutting down their different brick and mortar, their physical stores and selling more through online. And if they wanted to uh, do bay, you know, to, to do something big with products, they invented and they didn't invent it. Cause I know a marketing company came up with the idea of a pop-up. So you would do a pop-up store. But the concept of the malls in the U.S., it's pretty much done. The pandemic, it was already on life support. The pandemic just pretty much put the nail in the coffin. But here you have in Dubai, and although this is 2017, the U.S. malls were already hurting. But yet Dubai shopping malls, they're doing great. Dubai has also carved out a well-deserved reputation for being willing to go big with the latest emerging technology. Now, here we go, family. From robotic police forces to autonomous taxis. All right, so they're going to um, go down the list. So they've just seen uh, um, firefighters on jet skis. Um, the drone taxi. While most cities are still caught up wondering about regular self-driving cars, Dubai is busy putting self-driving flying cars through their paces. Giving a test flight last month, Dubai's the autonomous air taxis, AAT, is described as the world's first self-flying taxi service. Although it is not yet available commercially, the 18-rotor flying drone promises to be eco-friendly, electrically powered transportation solution of tomorrow, so long as you don't want a flight longer than 30 minutes. Um, so anybody that is a cartoon person, Sorry, hope, uh, hopefully y'all didn't hear that. I made a mistake and hit the video. So anybody that is a taxi person, uh, a, a cartoon person, remember the Jetsons? And I just saw this week, let me go to it. I know I pulled it. I just saw this week. Um, now this is from World Economics Forum. This came out, uh, this article came out February 8th, but I saw them mention it in mainstream last week about flying cars. The UK is building the world's first airport for flying cars. A pop-up airport for electric flying taxis will be operation later this year near the UK city of 
Coventry. The market for electric air taxis could be worth $500 billion in the U.S. alone. Right? So they were saying that they need regulations, all of that jazz, yada, yada, yada. Um, so um, I'm not going to go into the rest of it. But just the fact that now they're starting to push the fact of electric cars, the concept of electric cars into the populace. But where did that electric car make us Dubai? Uh, yeah, where, where did it get started? In Dubai. All right. It started in Dubai. All right. So that goes back to the concept of is Dubai the new Atlantis? It's so obvious that it's a test city. So let's go on. Hotel of the future, uh, planning a trip to Dubai's next year and looking for somewhere high tech to stay. If so, you might want to check into the Rosemont Five Star Hotel and Residence. Uh, still in development at the time this article was written, because remember this article was written in 2017, the 450 room hotel boasts a high end restaurant, man made beach. Giant aquarium, infinity pool, and more. The reason the hotel made this list, though, a giant 36-degree computer-generated rainforest in the public area and a robotic host on the reception desk. It's like you've gone on holiday to the future. All right? And then they talked about the RoboCop, um, less smiley, but just as metallic as the robot host of the at the Rosemont Five Star Hotel is Dubai's latest law enforcement. Now, y'all remember the movie RoboCop with um, wasn't that Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone? Matter of fact, go look at that movie. Now, y'all, it just brought flashbacks. So go look at that movie. And look at some of the architecture in that movie and see, don't you see some similarities in Dubai's architect? Hmm. All right. So they were saying the first RoboCop was introduced this summer, complete with a camera for transmitting live images and identifying suspects and a touchscreen, which can be used by members of the public to report crimes and ask questions. According to the Smart Services Division of the Dubai Police, such humanoid robots will make up an entire quarter of the local a quarter ooh, of the local police force by 2030. Okay, so they they just go into um, the the uh, cars, so automatically driving police cars. They're talking about that. Um, so, uh, we don't have to talk about that because, you know, the self-driving car, Tesla has been working on that pretty much already. And we already have those on the road. Although I do know that Detroit is testing out the taxi. Now, I don't know if they stopped it, but I do know a couple of years ago in downtown Detroit, they had a couple of... Um, 
self-driving taxis that they were testing. Okay, but we already have self-driving cars. That's what the Tesla does. All right. So mega solar plant. Having last month received a contract to build yet another extensive extension. Sorry, Dubai's Mohammed bin Rashid solar park will eventually stretch to cover a mass of 83 square miles, making it the world's largest single site solar park. As if that wasn't enough of a record breaker, it also will soon boast an enormous 260 meter, 853 feet solar tower, the tallest in the world. It's a key ingredient in the Dubai Clean Energy Strategy of 2050, which aims to increase the share of clean energy in the city to 7% by 2020, 25% by 2030, and a mass of 75% by 2050. Plus, it totally looks like the headquarters for a future James Bond villain. All right, I ain't making this up, y'all, on this next one. It says the red planet on Earth. I I ain't got the lie, Craig. I ain't got the lie. This article is from Digital Trends. The name of this article is Nine High-Tech Examples That Prove Dubai is the World's Most Futuristic City. So one of the number nines, they said the red planet on the Earth. And they show you a picture of it looking like a red hue in the atmosphere. And then you have these domes covering things, right? So based on what that commenter said about is to buy the test city for Mars, I was like, whoa, when I saw that, this in this article. Just when you think Dubai is out of ideas, you hear about plans to it to build. See, I ain't got to lie, Craig. I ain't got to lie. You hear about plans to build an enormous space simulation city that will offer up a viable and realistic model to simulate living on the surface of Mars. With the budget of $135 million and a footprint stretching to 1.9 million square feet, the Mars Science City will simulate as closely as possible the conditions of a real-life Mars colony, complete with greenhouses for testing out agricultural techniques, solar radiation, blocking 3D printed walls, and far more. It's all part of a plan for the United Arab Emirates to send its first unmanned probe to Mars in 2020 and establish a colony there sometime in the next century. All right? So whoever that commenter was on that video, they nailed it. And you best believe that they're not getting ready to do this in the next century. We're talking in the next 20 years. Because I believe it's already built. All right.
Okay, so we talked about this uh, tallest building, um, the Khalifa. So we talked about that already. Um, so a great example of neo-futurism that, that could come straight out of the world of Blade Runner. The Khalifa is an angular masterpiece of engineering which contains a luxury hotel, observation decks, apartments, corporate offices, restaurants, observatories, and the world's highest nightclub. Not to be missed unless you're terrified of heights we guess. So go pull up a picture of this building. I'm going to spell out the first name in case I'm, because I know I'm botching it. It's B-U-R-J and Khalifa. Go look it up. This building is so doggone tall that it is above the clouds. Okay? And notice how they made reference to the movie Blade Runner. Right. So those of you that want to claim folks are a conspiracy theorist, this, that and the third, they sure do drop a lot of those, quote, quote, um, conspiracies in movies. All of this that we just that I'm just going through, every last bit of it they have shown in the movie, Robocops. Um, the simulated hotel of the future because that's basically nothing but um, AI simulating an environment with artificial intelligence. The flying cars, the self-driving cars, and now they're talking about the Mars colony. All of that stuff that we've already seen in these movies decades ago. Okay. All right. So uh, that's just a little bit there on the some more technology that they are introducing in Mars now. I'm in Mars. Ooh, see how that consciously slipped. <laughs> that they have introduced in Dubai, which who heck who knows? We don't know if they got that technology from Mars. If it's already a civilization that's existing. We don't know if they got that technology from Mars or did they get that technology from um, Atlantis? If these places still exist and they're in operation, who's to say? Now, let's go over one more thing. I'm going to try not to make this too long. I don't want to be too rambly on you family on these podcasts. Let's go on another one. All right. We are going to go and talk about, if you haven't seen this movie, I suggest you look at it. It is a little kitty. It is a little kitty-ish. But it dropped a lot of jewels. It's called Tomorrowland. Okay. Go give it a look. All right. George Clooney plays in it. And I forget the other young lady. It's a little girl that plays in it as well. 
All right. So I'm just going to go over a synopsis and, and let's talk about it a little bit. But I want you to look at the movie because some of the same concepts that you see in Dubai, you see in Tomorrowland. All right. And Tomorrowland had some of the concepts in it from a technology standpoint that I saw in or we saw in Black Panther. With the magnetic trains and all of that jazz. All right. So uh, this is from Over Mental. Tomorrowland explain exploring the world of the future. Tomorrowland has a ton of big ideas, but most of them go relatively unexplained in the movie itself. Not a huge surprise given Damon Lindoff wrote the script. The movie definitely doesn't require that you know the answer to every mystery, but it certainly leaves the door open to a ton of questions. Luckily, some of these concepts are explained in the Tomorrowland prequel, novel, and promotional materials, while others are open to some good old-fashioned guesswork and fan theorizing. What is Tomorrowland? This is probably the most confusing aspect of the story and could have been used a bit more explanation. If I had just seen the movie, I probably would have assumed that Tomorrowland is some kind of alternate dimension. Okay, now I have to admit, when I saw it, that's what I thought. But then when I started thinking about Dubai, I started, I'm like, you know, and based on that person's comment about Dubai being the test city for Mars, and I was thinking, well, are they pulling technology from the Atlantis days? And then I thought about this movie, Tomorrowland. I'm like, oh, crap. That's what Tomorrowland was showing. So Tomorrowland is showing a place that we just don't know about with all of this technology. So that goes back to the theory, is Tomorrowland coming from Hidden Land? All right. Now, there is a gentleman on YouTube and I have featured his uh, stuff before. I'm going to try to uh, get his name. (sighs) Hopefully I can find him because he was the first one that I heard discuss Tomorrowland um, from a Walt Disney perspective. And I was like, oh my goodness, whoa. So yes, Walt Disney World, he was saying the way Walt Disney laid out Tomorrowland is exactly how uh, the future cities, not the future cities, that those cities already exist. So in other words, the way that um, Walt Disney laid out his particular stuff and specifically Epcot is coming from those hidden lands. It's literally coming from the hidden lands that they are not 
showing us uh, today. Okay. And so uh, his particular channel, oh shoot, I'm trying to find it. And of course, I can't find it. Uh, it starts with a G. I don't know. There we go. There he is. His name is, his YouTube channel is G-O-D-G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E. So G-O-D-G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E, right? So he did a couple of videos on how Walt Disney laid out the Walt Disney in Florida and how he believes it is a mimic for these hidden lands that we don't get to see. All right? So, made me think about Tomorrowland as that movie. Dang on it, it wasn't another dimension. It was just another territory. All right. So, according to the prequel novel, before Tomorrowland and other supplemental supplementary material though it actually an entire different planet complete with its own ecosystem of alien animal and plant life the extra dimensional travel is just how they reach the planet as is many many light years away all right so and again i highly encourage you go watch the movie go watch the movie it is kind of kitty in a way but the technology in it is oh my god it's absolutely fascinating matter of fact i think i'm gonna go watch it again um so and and you're gonna see how they get to Tomorrowland. I, i'm not gonna because i don't want to spo spoil or alert this stuff is going to start making sense to you now if you are of the school of thought like um God, the God dude, God Lemesty, the, the guy that I just um, read to his YouTube channel. If you're in his school of thought that it is just a hidden territory on a larger earth. Then instead of the dimensional travel. Is it some sort of crystallized dome that we have to go through to get to these extra lands. So in other words, instead of them talking about Mars being up in a million and something miles up, is the territory of Mars really out? And in order to get to that territory, you have to some type of way know how to get through that particular um, crystallize shield. So when I say crystallize shield, if you watch Black Panther, think of that. Remember in Black Panther, um, Wakanda was a hidden land. Remember? It was hidden. You had to have access or had to be granted access to get to Wakanda. All right. And even once you got to Wakanda, they still had the ability to put up those crystallized shields at will. 
So is that a case of what we're dealing with? With these hidden lands? Or is it just straight hidden? Or is it just straight restricted that the other territories are guarded? And that is one of the main reasons they have such strict rules with air traffic control. And if you try to go beyond those restricted areas, you will be shot down. All right. So let's let me get back to the article. How was it discovered? Again, none of this information is in the actual movie. So don't worry. You didn't miss an entire scene or anything. Basically, Tomorrowland was first discovered by an organization called Plus Ultra in 1899. About a decade later, um, Plus Ultra was you was I'm sorry was able to mount an expedition to the planet by tearing a hole hole in the fabric of space time using an atomic bomb. Yes, Ultra Plus managed to develop the bomb decades before it was invented in WW2. In fact, many many key members of the Manhattan Project were known as Plus U members. Chow, huh? What? You say what, huh? Atomic bomb, 1899? Oh, okay then. Okay, but these same folks in this Plus U organization were also key members of the Manhattan Project. Oh, okay, then. Here we go. 20 years later, Nikola Tesla developed a way to send people via particle beam. He called it the grid, which is obviously a lot better than blowing up the atomic bombs. This method would be further improved by the time the events of the film roll around with the ability to open door-like portals to and from tomorrow land. What is Plus Ultra exactly? Plus Ultra was established, child, let me tell you, let me wet my whistle. (laughs) I didn't read through all of this. For the purpose, I knew it was going to be some stuff in here that surprised me as I'm going over it now. Plus, Ultra, they're calling it, they're shortening it, calling it Plus U. So I'm going to start saying Plus U from this point on. Plus U was established at the 1889 World's Fair. Yeah, those World Fairs. Shout out to the mud flood communities for bringing this to the forefront about the technology that was put on display at the World Fair. Every time you turn around, it was spectacular technology at these World Fairs. But yet they want to convince us back in the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1500s, it was just horse and buggy and handmade tools. So, at the 1889 World Fair, when some of the world's most brilliant minds came together to form a society of optimists dedicated to working together to change the world for the better, 
Its founding members were Jules Verne, Thomas Edison, child, you better shut the front door, Nikola Tesla, and Gustafi Eiffel. Oh, that must be dude that they named the Eiffel Tower after, child. Its members would later include well-known historical figures like Amelia Earhart, Ray Bradbury, Mark Twain, Howard Hughes, Orson Welles, and even hot dog, y'all, Walt Disney himself. Child, this plus ultra group, baby. They had all the heavy hitters in it. Child. Of all of their scientific achievements, their biggest development was the discovery of Tomorrowland. Okay, so shout out to a dude. Okay, go check out his YouTube channel. It's uh, spelled G-O-D-G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E. He literally talked about how Walt Disney, Disneyland, is built for the cities of the future. And he is saying that Walt Disney got it from one of the cities from Hidden Lands. So this is really tripping me out to know that blood, meaning um, Disney, was a part of this plus you group. And specifically, anybody that's been to Epcot, you know that Epcot is like this technology center. All right? So back up in, uh, I don't know, whenever Disney was built. Well, I'm talking about the Walt Disney up in Florida. All right. When Epcot was first built, that was that whole tech center. And y'all know the um, the landmark of Epcot is that dome. All right. So that was what back in the 60s or 70s that he built that. And that same dome is now what they are talking about using on uh, to colonize Mars. And Disney World, if you've ever been there, you know they use the magnetic trains, all of that. They have a lot of technology in that particular theme park. All right? So if you go watch the movie Tomorrowland, which I highly encourage you do, and now I'm going to really have to go back and watch it again, y'all. This is really tripping me out that dude was a part of that. This plus you group, but it makes sense. Okay, of all their scientific achievements, their biggest development was the discovery of Tomorrowland, originally named the New Frontier by Howard Hughes, and the organization's subsequent colonization of it. It's here... They built their headquarters dedicated to scientific progress that could benefit mankind free from any commercial, military, or political interference. What does plus ultra mean? Plus ultra in Latin for further beyond. Why didn't plus ultra reveal Tomorrowland to the public? Child, this is good. According to the uh, prequel novel, Plus You, 
did plan on revealing Tomorrowland's existence in the 1930s, but the Nazi sabotage led to the deconstruction of the grid, the device they were using to to transport people to the other planet. All right, so according to them, but the Nazi sabotage led to the destruction of the grid. Hmm. The grid, huh? Interesting. The device they were using to transport people to the other planet. So when we think of the grid today, we think of the electrical grid. But if you are in the theory of the of a dome you also think about the grid and the dome and the grid the ley lines all right so uh the attack also resulted in heavy damage to the plus used facilities on tomorrowland itself it took over a decade of work before Plus U was even able to reach Tomorrowland again. And as we saw in the 1960s segment of the film, it looked like the place was still coming together when Frank first visited it. Eventually, they began seeking new Plus U candidates again using high-tech pens and robot recruiters. All right, so now they're getting into the movie aspect of Tomorrowland. I'm I'm guessing they're getting into the movie. All right. So how do those pins work? So these are spoiler alerts, but still, you're still going to want to go look at this movie. If you've never seen it before, hopefully you will. And even if you've seen it before, you'll want to go back and watch it and look at it from a different point of view. How do those pins work? They're like super advanced child, shut the front door. They're like super advanced VR tech that gives potential plus you candidates a look into Tomorrowland. As Frank points out, though, it isn't a real look. It's all been pre-recorded. Plus you experimented with a similar technology in the prequel novel using pairs of glasses instead of pens. Um, excuse me, excuse me, back in the, uh, back up in the day novel. So you mean to tell me they talked about VR glasses back then? Really? And what do we have today? VR glasses or headsets. In present day, Athena has taken a case of the last remaining pins to Earth in order to find someone who can help her fix Tomorrowland. What is Athena and why hasn't she aged? Athena is a robot. Now, this is this, all of this family is into the actual movie. Athena is a robot or more specifically an audio animatronic. Her job is to find assets, assets, and recruit potential plus you members. Governor Nick, the current leader of Tomorrowland, shuttered this program through, suspending all recruitment and attempted to disable Athena. She escaped and continued her mission on Earth. 
What are auto, audio animatronics? That's what Plus U calls their robots. In real life, the term was coined by Walt Disney himself to describe the robots he was developing for his theme parks. Ciao. Why did Plus Ultra stop recruiting? We're never explicitly told, but it likely, but it is likely has something to do with Frank's tachyon machine called the monitor. After predicting with 100% certainty that people on Earth would destroy themselves, it seemed that Governor Nick, the leader of Plus Ultra at the time, took a hardline approach to Plus U isolating themselves. Is that why Frank was exiled? Probably. The film only tells us that he was exiled after completing work on the monitor. The feeling I got was that Nick's isolationist policies caused a lot of friction in the ranks in the organization, leading to the banishment of people like Frank. The Tomorrowland we see in present-day time seems very depopulated and in significant disrepair. My guess is that the face of Nick's author... uh, uh, Got tongue-tied. Sorry, my eyes was moving faster than what my mouth was willing to do. So my guess is in the face of Nick's leadership and increasingly militaristic leadership, many members of Plus Ultra were either forced out or chose to leave. And is that also why evil robots are chasing Casey? As part of Governor Nick's isolation policies, he dispatched robots to Earth to cover up traces of Tomorrowland's existence. Nick's robots are basically there to kill anyone who might find out about the other world so that it can never be polluted by other people from Earth. All right. So again, if you are at the school of thought of planet Earth being a lot larger than they are telling us and having hidden lands, and one of those hidden lands, there is a technology center with technology like Tomorrowland, would it make sense if they figured out that they don't need wars and all of these things, the concept of money, how it's being used, and they have a quote, quote, utopia, would it make sense that they would not want the current primitive thinking of who we're calling earthlings, so 90% of the populace coming over to Tomorrowland because they have not evolved from a consciousness perspective. All right. What is that teleportation machine Casey, Frank, and Athena use? It's a technology called wire transfer, which is explored a bit more in the prequel novel. It was developed in the 1930s by Tesla and was originally only able to send people via landlines. In the movie, the technology has advanced to the port to the point where it can teleport people via satellite dishes. So back in 1930, dang y'all, they said Tesla pretty much invented it 
and they were going through the phone line. So it kind of makes me think of, remember when the internet first came out? I know for my younger, uh, I know millennials, y'all was around. Y'all were probably children when the internet first came out. Uh, but the Z's, you definitely weren't around. When the internet first came out, you had to dial up via the landline and you would hear that sound. So that's interesting that they say back in the 1930s, that's what he was, uh, how people were transporting via the landlines. Okay. All right, so it said it saps the blood sugar from you in the process, though, making it a pretty uncomfortable experience. Why is there a rocket ship that goes to Tomorrowland when they have portals you can just walk through? Right now, if you check out the dude that talks about Crater Earth, um, again, G-O-D, God, Jelv, G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E. If you check out his YouTube videos, he talks about how those space launches that they are really doing, what they're actually only, they're doing, they're just taking those and going to another territory on the larger Earth. All right? So, the rocket that takes Frank, Casey, and Athena to Tomorrowland is super old. It was built by founding members of Plus U, Tesla, Edison, Eiffel, and Vern, as a way to reach Tomorrowland in case of an emergency and only in an emergency. You'll notice it has no way to take you back to Earth. Why does Tomorrowland look ruined when Casey and Frank get there? I think we're to assume that under Nick's leadership, things like exploration and space travel were deprioritized, hence why the spaceport is completely abandoned. Instead, it seems Nick has been pushing development on weapons technology and robot death squads. Okay, so in other words, like they said, he militarized it. Note how those giant guard robots from the last scene look similar to the construction ones from the 60s. Nick's influence has apparently corrupted Plus U's original goals. Absolutely. Okay, and then just, you know, when you look at it, you also see this sim- these similar robots these fighting robots machines, you're, you're going to notice that you see them in a couple of other movies. Um, uh, shoot, I can't think of it right now. But you'll notice, you'll see these same type of robots, uh, militarized fighting robots in other movies as well. Okay, what does the monitor do anyway? Using Tycons, particles that move faster than light, Frank's invention lets you see into both the past and possibly probable futures, right? So we've talked quite extensively over the last couple months on uh, the Truth Uncompromised show about using your subconsciousness to... uh, 
view into the past and also into the future because time is not linear like they are telling you. It all exists simultaneously, right? So as an unintended side effect of using the machine, though, it sends powerful subliminal signals out that are affecting the population of Earth. How these signals can reach that far is never explained, but it is likely due to plus use network links to the planet, which lets them travel back and forth. Why did it predict the world was going to end? Basically, because humanity has given up hope for the future and has resigned itself to the idea that the world is going to end and there's nothing we can do about it, This is the movie's commentary on the gulp of apocalyptic fiction that is big in pop culture right now. The machine itself is actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. In addition to predicting the end of the world, the monitor is actually beaming that idea into people's subconsciousness. As we find out, Nick is doing this on purpose in order to scare the population into fixing our problems. Instead, though, it just caused people to embrace the idea of the inevitable end of the world. Why did the 100% flicker when Casey was around? It represented her optimism and the very slim chance that it could change things. She hasn't given up on the future, so bringing her to Tomorrowland represented the possibility that she could figure out a solution. Considering the Earth survived a full year past the predicted end date, it seems that gamble paid off. Why does Nick try to stop Casey from fixing things? He's really given up on the population back to Earth, back on Earth rather. After his plan to scare them straight backfires, he seems almost disgusted with how people have embraced the idea of the end of the world. Nick no longer has any interest in fixing things. He just wants Tomorrowland to be left alone while the Earth destroys itself. How does Athena save Frank from getting shot? She saw Nick shoot him due to the tachyon interference. It showed her one possible future outcome of that. Armed with that knowledge and super fast reaction, she jumped in front of the blast. Why do Athena and other robots self-destruct? It's probably to prevent them from being discovered on Earth if they get disabled or malfunctioning or malfunction. It definitely seems like a safety hazard though. What happens at the end? For whatever reason, the people of Tomorrowland don't really seem to care that the governor, Nick, had a building fall on him. Instead, it appears that Frank's become the new leader of Plus U. He and Casey begin a new recruiting campaign, including bringing Casey's family and other former NASA engineers to the city. They also create a new group of robot recruiters like Athena, who go to Earth to find new dreamers, scientists, artists, activists, and other people who haven't given up on the world. Whether they have stopped the predicted catastrophe from happening or merely delayed it is left ambiguous. 
given the message of the movie, though, you can probably feel pretty optimistic about everyone's future. All right, so um, I know that was spoiler alert for the movie Tomorrowland. I highly encourage you to go look at it. All right, that this article is from a website called Over Mental, and uh, the name of that article is Tomorrowland Explained: Exploring the World of the Future. Okay. So again, I wanted to bring in that article to once again bring the point about Dubai being the test city for the quote quote reset. All right. Now, if you go look at Tomorrowland, you're going to see a eerily similar looking building. That was built in Dubai. That one hotel that sits right on the water. That looks real George Jetson spacious in them. All right. So just look at Tomorrowland and look at some of the technology that Dubai currently has. And also when you look at Tomorrowland, it will also make you think of technology that you saw in Black Panther. All right, with Black Panther being a hidden nation and Black Panther using the magnetic technology for transportation and how they were using, I think it was called vibranium, if I'm not mistaken, that particular metal vibranium that was very precious, that was running all of their technology and was the most expensive metal on the planet. And how with their technology, they also had the ability to put up those particular crystallized shields to block folks out. Okay. And just also the fact of Dubai being the test city, we went through some of the futuristic technologies that they're already using. They're already instituting the RoboCops. They're uh, introducing the flying cars. And they even have a test city. For Mars, for the colonization of Mars. All right? Just among some of the technologies that they have. All right? So what we're really witnessing, family, is like I've said time and time again, uh, this reset is going to be a couple of things. All right? It is definitely going to be, and, and it, The reset is a result. Let me be clear. Slow down a bit. The reset is definitely a result of the planet's vibratory frequency rising, i.e. the age of Aquarius. Okay? So, therefore... The technology that's being used must be moved forward. Um, But then also the way that things are being done currently today, far as the monetary system, et cetera, et cetera, it was under the guise of the old frequency, the old energy, the Pisces error. Okay. And in that Pisces error also, you had it riddled with religion 
the Pisces era was riddled with religion about a Messiah, about a rapture, about someone coming back to save humanity, someone or something. So as we started leaving out of the Piscean era, you started hearing people talk about the fifth dimension and some people got on the train. Now the aliens are going to save you. All right. But even with that concept, that is still a Messiah concept. All right. So the reset is going to be about the planet Earth, Mother Earth, resetting herself to a higher vibration, healing for her best benefit. Now, for the species and the beings that cannot handle the higher frequency, are they really looking for another dimension to go to? Is that what Mars is about? They will totally leave the planet and, you know, go to a totally different dimension? Or is it about the area that we currently live on, on Earth? Its vibration is rising higher at this point, but they can go to another territory with on the bigger Earth to institute their Tomorrowlands of the world and not even institute because those particular areas already existed. Okay. But either way, what you are witnessing is something extremely spectacular. So it is up to you to use your discernment and use what you feel in your heart and your soul what is actually going on and use what you feel resonates with you, right? It is not my job to tell you what to think, how to feel, what to be. That is totally up to you. I find it interesting that the more and more I bring these concepts forward, I get people, I mean, enraged. They are literally upset. Not only on these concepts, but when I start tearing down their messiahs, oh, they get boiling mad. And I understand that, and I overstand that, because they don't want to let go of a vibration that no longer exists. Okay, so I hope that you got a lot out of this, um, and hopefully you'll question What really is the reason for Dubai? And hopefully as they start unleashing this new technology, which it seems to be going pretty, pretty rapid, you'll start to think of it in terms of a reset. Okay? So I hope that everyone is well. I wish you well. And I wish that you get something out of this particular podcast. I think I am going to put this entire podcast on YouTube uh, as well as it will definitely be on WTUZ Radio Anchor, Spotify, and the other platforms as well. So I wish everyone well. Peace and love.